0: Today we're continuing our unrestrained series. So uh, we've been making our way through the book of Colossians over the last month or so, and we're about halfway through. And so we've been looking at this amazing letter that a guy in the early church, a guy named Paul wrote to one of the cities where there was a church that was planted called Colossae. hence uh, the book called Colossians. And if we were to sum up what the book is all about or what the letter was all about, it's really addressing this question, is Jesus enough? Ultimately, is Jesus enough for us to have a full, complete relationship with God? And is Jesus enough uh, to show us what life is supposed to be all about? And as we've seen over the last month or so, and uh, if you haven't been around for that and you want to catch up on it, we have a podcast. You can listen to our messages on our website and our Facebook page. Uh, We have walked through this unbelievable unpacking that Paul does of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and therefore who we are because of that. And it's really, really extraordinary. Last week, we talked about a few different metaphors that Paul uses about what it looks like for us to continue to journey with Jesus. And in particular, one of the ones that we talked about is this idea of sinking our roots down deep into Jesus, which is a really, really helpful metaphor for us. Uh, And gardening in general is a helpful understanding of what uh, our relationship with God and our spiritual walk can be all about. So whether you are an avid gardener, whether you're a wannabe gardener, as I am. Uh, Whether you love having a garden that's full of flowers, whether you love a veggie garden, whether you just love the idea of having a veggie garden, I think all of us have a pretty good understanding about what makes a healthy garden grow. And really there's two very important factors that have a significant impact. One of them is how many weeds there are in a garden. If there's lots and lots of weeds, then obviously that gets in the way of things being able to grow. The weeds take nutrients out of the soil. If you let them get completely out of control, they will also block out the sun and uh, stop the plants being able to get the sun that they need. And so for a healthy garden, we have to rip out some weeds from time to time and get things out of the way so that the nutrients can flow to the plants. But that is the other side of it, is that a healthy garden also needs those nutrients. There's things that we can put into the soil at a minimum. Water is a really important nutrient that we need to put in to help plants grow, but also the sun. Uh, But there's other food that we can give to plants to help them to be able to grow and uh, develop the way that they're supposed to. And so that's really what we're going to unpack as we go through today's message is that Paul talks about these two things that we can do in our lives in order for us to grow in a healthy way. There's stuff that we can weed out of our lives and there's stuff that we can feed in our lives to be able to keep growing. So, a little bit of catch up. We finished last week uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And so we've skipped over a number of verses, verses 16 to 23. And the reason for that is that it's continuing to unpack some of the themes that we talked about last week. In particular, this question about whether we have to do religious practices. In order to either get a right relationship with God or maintain a right relationship with God. And so what Paul tackles in those few verses is things like food laws, whether there are things that you are and aren't allowed to eat, and also the importance of the Sabbath. And he says, no, there's nothing else that we need to do. Our practices are not the things that make us right with God Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. Now, that doesn't mean that spiritual practices aren't helpful for us, particularly something like Sabbath, resting, stopping from activity is really, really important for us to be healthy, but it's not the thing that makes us or keeps us in a right relationship with God. So we pick things up at the start of chapter 3 in verse 1, and Paul writes this. He says, you've been raised to life with Christ, so set your hearts on the things that are in heaven, where Christ sits on the throne at the right side of God. Keep your minds fixed on things there, not on things here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is Christ and when he appears, then you too will appear with him and share his glory. And So Paul's already unpacked this for us to help us recognize that our old life our sinful, selfish life, and when we talk about sin, it's really just understood uh, the word sin originally meant missing the mark. It's kind of the idea of a bullseye on a target, and if you miss the bullseye, that's what the word sin was used for in its original context. So the question becomes, what's the target? And we believe the target is loving other people perfectly 100% of the time. And so all of us, I think, can admit, yeah, there's times where I don't quite hit that target and I miss. And another way of saying that is simply selfishness. Any time that I think about my needs and what I want instead of others-centred love, that leads to this stuff that we kind of bundle together as sin. And so what Paul has been saying is that that sinful, selfish self has been killed off when Jesus died on the cross. It's gone. It's done. It's over with. It's buried finished once and for all. And now you've been raised to life with Jesus. So when Jesus came back to life, you came to life as well, but you come to life living the way that he wants you to live. And that's why what we've been able to focus on today with baptism is such a powerful symbol, because it reminds us of that process of dying and then rising again and saying, I let myself go, bury that, and then come back to life in Jesus. So Paul says, because all of that has happened, set your hearts on things that are in heaven. And that phrase, set your hearts, is really about focusing on what your motivations are. And Jesus spends a lot of time talking about this as well, that if our hearts and our motivations are right, then that leads to thoughts that are also right, which leads to actions that are the way that we want to live our lives. If we try to do that backwards, it generally doesn't work. If we just try to focus on behaviour control and making sure that we do all the right things but we haven't had a change of heart, a change of motivation, then at some point that's going to get too hard and we'll lose our way. And so Paul says, make sure that your heart, your motivations are set on heaven. And when we understand heaven, there's all sorts of different pictures of what that might might not look like. None of us know at this point that I'm aware of. But our general understanding of heaven is simply this. Heaven is the place where God's way of life is experienced 100% of the time. Heaven is the place where we get to live the way that God has always wanted us to live permanently. And so Paul says, set your hearts and your motivations on what that looks like, what it looks like to live the way that ultimately God created you to live. So what does that look like? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. And fortunately, Paul unpacks this as we go through our passage today. He says that living with Jesus starts by us getting rid of some weeds that are in our lives, setting our hearts on the things in heaven starts by us getting rid of the stuff that's going to stop us being able to grow. Now, I want to put a very clear caveat in place before we jump into this list. This is not a big list of do's and don'ts that we now have to obey in order for God to like us, let alone love us. Paul spent quite a bit of time unpacking that for us and saying, we don't go back to Old Testament laws where you have to do all these things and not do these things for God to accept you. That way of life is over. It's finished. We don't do these things to earn God's favour, We do these things because we've already been given God's favour. We do these things because this is who we are. And we don't do the things that we're pulling out as weeds because it's not who we are. It's this complex mystery about what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. We genuinely believe that God's done everything necessary through Jesus' life, death and resurrection for us to have a full, complete relationship with God. And yet every day, every one of us gets up and struggles with living that out. But God accepts us fully as we struggle through that in our lives. So let's have a look. What are these things that Paul says that we should kill off in our lives? The weeds that we should pull up. Starting in verse 5, he says, You must put to death then the earthly desires at work in you, such as sexual immorality, indecency, lust, evil passions, and greed. For greed is a form of idolatry. Because of such things, God's anger will come upon those who do not obey him. At one time, you yourselves used to live according to such desires when your life was dominated by them. But now you must get rid of all these things, anger, passion, and hateful feelings. No insults or obscene talk must ever come out of your lips. Do not lie to one another. So let's quickly go through what this list looks like. Paul starts with sexual immorality. So just kind of a nice easy one to begin with. Paul starts with sex. And we recognise that sex is this healthy thing, the way that God created it, within the boundaries of a committed marriage relationship. Anything that's outside of that starts to stray into this thing that Paul calls sexual immorality. And in particular, he calls out two things that often lead towards sexual immorality, indecency and lust. So indecency is simply a lack of, of modesty, acting in a way that's inappropriate, in a way that most people would say, yeah, that's probably not what you should be doing or not what you should be thinking about or not what you should be wearing. And lust is then about uncontrolled passions. And in particular, lust ends up getting into objectification, particularly when we think about it in the context of sex. The minute that we forget that this is about another person and they turn into an object, that's when we're heading down the road of lust. And so Paul says we need to get rid of all of those things because that's not the way that God designed us. That's not who we are. He also says we need to get rid of evil passions, which is simply understood as doing whatever we want, whenever we want. And I don't care about the consequences. I know this is wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That's what evil passions look like. He talks about greed, which is really just about us wanting more than we actually need wanting more than we actually need. And this is a huge challenge for us in our Western culture, to say, ultimately, how much do we really need in our lives? And at different times, all of us, I think, stray into this, whether that's greed around food, whether it's greed around money, whether it's greed around possessions. We have to wrestle with this question, how much ultimately is enough? And do I keep seeking these things... That are far more than I really need in my life. Interestingly, Paul actually calls this one out as a form of idolatry. And idolatry is really saying this thing is actually more important to you than God. You would say this is the thing which you need to have in your life as your number one thing, or else you feel like things are falling apart. I think that's a good understanding of what greed is. We get so obsessed about food, about money, about possessions, whatever it might be, that those things become all consuming instead of us focusing on God and what He's got to offer us. Paul then talks about these two things anger and passion, which is interesting because isn't passion a good thing? Isn't it good to be passionate about life? Isn't it good to be passionate about Jesus and about what we believe? Well, Paul's not talking about that kind of passion. He's talking about the passion where we just kind of lash out, where we fly off the handle, where we just kind of let ourselves go, where we have an outburst. I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience before, but those moments where, you know, the pressure builds and builds and builds and then you just let fly. That's what anger and passion really looks like. Hateful feelings. And then kind of taking that a step even further. And this is those moments where, again, I'm sure none of you have experienced, but you just get so wound up and you're like, I can't stand that person, honestly. I wish they weren't around anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do if I have to keep putting up with them. Those kind of feelings, that hateful feelings, emotion, that really gets to the core of who we are and generally causes us to then go down anger and passions lines where we lash out insults, slander, talking badly about other people, whether that's to them or whether that's about them behind their back. Obscene talk, abusive, filthy words, stuff that we know is just not healthy to be talking about or focusing on. And lying, not lying to each other, but speaking the truth to one another. Well, that's quite a list, isn't it? (laughs) When you look at it, is anyone else feeling a little bit squirmy? I was thinking about this list all week. I'm like, man, oh man, (laughs) that is a lot of stuff to have to think about. And then we read this verse that Paul just kind of throws in, in the midst of all of it. Because of such things, God's anger will come upon those who do not obey him. Just to make you feel even more squirmy. (laughs) Like, really? I thought this was supposed to be all nice and pleasant. The anger of God is this very complex thing that is hard for us to be able to understand. It's often translated as the word wrath. And it's hard for us to understand because as humans, we are generally focused on that anger and passion. Then when we think about anger, we think about that swelling up and then us flying off the handle and just letting loose, whether it's an appropriate thing to do or not. But we know that God is not like that. God doesn't just fly off the handle ever. In fact, we understand that God is love. Not God is loving. The core of who God is, is love. But at the same time, as we've talked about what sin is, this idea of selfishness, God can't just put up with that and say, oh, that's okay, it's fine. If God is all about love, any time that love is not lived out in someone's life, that's not okay with God. And the recognition here is the same as what we've already said. If we have accepted Jesus, then we've accepted that those things that are not others-centred loving have been killed off and buried in our lives. They're not there anymore. We've been raised to life to live like Jesus. So God can't just look at those times where we get it wrong and say, oh, well, never mind. It's okay. It doesn't really matter. Those two things just cannot coexist for God. And so the word that we use for that tension that kicks in is this word wrath. But remember everything that we've talked about so far. The good news for us is that everything was killed off when we died and we have been risen to life in Jesus. So we don't have to defeat this list of things. We don't have to make sure that we get rid of them and feel anxious about it because otherwise God's not going to love us. We don't have to get rid of these things so that God will love us. We get rid of these things because God already loves us. These things are not who we are. So, like weeds, we rip them out and we get rid of them out of our lives. Paul says, kill off these things, get rid of them, pull them out, take them out of sight so that they're not even in your line of view anymore. Get rid of all of them. And instead, he then gives us some positive things to focus on instead. Some things that we can feed in our lives, nutrients that we can pour into our soil so that we can grow. He also uses the language of clothing ourselves in these things. The idea that every day we get up and we put these things on in our life so that they're the things that are in our obvious eye view. Chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, "'You're the people of God.' He loved you and chose you for his own. So then you must clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else. You must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love, which binds all things together in perfect unity. So another helpful list for us to be able to focus on. Let's work through them a little bit at a time. So compassion, first of all, compassion is actually this word in its original context that talks about being moved to the bowels, which is a lovely image, isn't it? (laughs) But that's really what compassion is all about, moved to the very core of who we are. Compassion is not pity on someone. Compassion is feeling so much a depth of emotion about the plight that someone else is in that I can't help but act. I have to do something about this. That's what compassion looks like. Paul talks about kindness as well, which is simply doing kind acts. And I've been fascinated over the last week as I've seen kindness come up in a number of different places quite unexpectedly. One of them was the Christmas pageant last week. So we watch the Christmas pageant on TV, and uh, all the way through the telecast, they keep coming back to this word kindness over and over and over again. And then Father Christmas shows up at the end of the pageant, surprisingly, <laughs> and uh, as he gives his Christmas message, guess what his emphasis was? Kindness. He said, I would love it if every day of every year our focus was on kindness. Wouldn't the world be a better place if that was the case? Words of wisdom from Father Christmas. Then on Tuesday night, we're watching the project and they have uh, this woman on whose name was Kath Cochelle, who has just had a horrendous run of stuff that's happened in her life. She was a professional athlete who got injured and uh, did a very severe back injury and so was unable to walk let alone to be able to do what she was paid to do as a professional athlete anymore. She manages to rehab from that, and in the process of that, uh, finds a relationship with a lovely young man, and so they fall in love and things progress, and then he dies in the most tragic of circumstances. She then manages to start rebuilding her life and as a part of that decides that she's going to do a triathlon as a way of being able to have something to focus on and work towards. And as she's getting ready for the triathlon, she gets knocked off her bike and re-injured and has her back injured and ends up back in the hospital again. Just this unbelievable story of the most horrific things that someone could go through. And do you know what her reaction has been to all of this? She's created something which is called the Kindness Factory. It's this awesome website of all of these ideas about kind things that you can do for other people. And she said point blank that that's the thing that's kept her going through all of this stuff is just having kind acts to focus on because she said, when I think about doing good things for other people, it enables me to be able to take my eyes off myself and be able to move forward. Just absolutely staggering. So, these two amazing stories of kindness, this thing that we know is just right about the way that life is supposed to be. Humility. Paul then talks about that. And humility can be understood as not thinking of yourself as better than anyone else, but also not thinking of yourself as worse than anyone else. Recognising that if Jesus has done all this stuff for us, then none of us are better than each other, but none of us are worse, worse than each other either. Another good way of thinking about humility is that humility is not about thinking less of yourself, but about thinking about yourself less, which is a really great way of understanding what that looks like. Gentleness, which we've unpacked at different times before, gentleness is this idea of strength under control. Gentleness is not being walked all over, but gentleness is saying there are times when it's appropriate to respond but I'm going to do that in a way that's under control. I'm not going to lash out, but I'm going to stand up for what's right in an appropriate way. Patience, taking the long-term perspective, especially when things are going difficult. Tolerance, which in older translations is this beautiful word, forbearance, which is the idea of entering into someone else's journey and bearing the load that they're carrying, understanding where someone else is coming from and what they're going through and therefore practicing tolerance. Forgiving, recognizing that if we've been forgiven for everything that we have done wrong, why would we withhold that from anybody else? And then Paul says, ultimately, over all of this, focus on love, because love is the thing that pulls it all together. Love is the thing that fills in all the rest of the gaps. Love is the thing that knits it all together. If love is at the core of what we do, then we're going to head in the right direction. But as we said at the start, if love is not at the core of what we do, and we're just trying to say, I've got to do these things and I've got to try harder, then ultimately it's going to be a struggle. And whether we do that because we're trying to think that we can earn God's love, or whether we do it because we think that that's going to make other people like us more, or we're concerned about other people's opinions, if love is not the centre of why we do these things, then we're going to miss out. So again, this kind of feels like a fairly overwhelming list. It's like, great, so I'm not allowed to do all those things and I'm supposed to do all of these things. That sounds absolutely exhausting. But in the end, it's not that complicated at all. It's really just about us slowing down, taking our eyes off of ourselves and focusing on other people the way that Jesus shows us how to live our lives. And in the end, we all have this gut feel about what we know we're not supposed to do and we're supposed to weed and what we are supposed to do and we're supposed to feed. And Paul puts it this way in verse 15. He says, The peace that Christ gives is to guide you in the decisions that you make. For it's to this peace that God has called you together in the one body. This beautiful idea that Jesus gives us this sense of peace which is not the absence of conflict. Sometimes when we think about peace, it's just people not fighting. But peace is much deeper than that. It's recognising that things are the way that they're supposed to be. The sense that everything is going to be okay. When I understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, this sense of peace really kicks in. The image for me is sitting next to a lake or a pond and being able to just allow the water to still. There's no ripples, there's nothing else, and you can see things clearly. There's a beautiful reflection that kicks in and a sense of tranquility and serenity that's there. That's what the peace is that Jesus gives us. And Paul says, let that emotion guide the decisions that you make. In actual fact, he says it's stronger than that because the wording that he's using as he says, let it guide you, is to let it rule in your hearts. And in its original context, it was actually talking about the idea of an umpire in a sporting context or a judge in the Olympics. Someone who kind of says, yep, that was fair. No, that was out. That person won. That person's disqualified. Paul says, let Jesus' peace, that sense of serenity, be the umpire that dictates the decisions That you make. If it's something that feels like Jesus, it feels right, then run, sprint, give it everything that you've got. If it doesn't feel like that, blow the whistle and say, No, I'm going in the opposite direction. And then Paul sums it up by saying this Everything you do or say then should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, as you give thanks to him through God the Father. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Whenever we talk about the name of Jesus, we're really talking about the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. Does this seem like what Jesus is like? Whatever we do, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we spend time with family, with friends, as we look after the kids, as we do the shopping, as we do the cleaning, let all of it be done the way that Jesus wants us to live, with love and peace at the centre of it. So as we wrap up today, here's a question for us to reflect on as we head into this week. What do I need to weed and what do I need to feed in my life? I love weed and feed. It's glorious. You get to do both at once, but today we'll separate them out a little bit. So what do I need to weed and what do I need to feed? We've got this table which sums it all up. That's not it. That's a song. So I'm sure it will come up shortly. And we have a table of all of the things. So the things on the left... Are all of the things that Paul says to weed. The things on the right are all the things that Paul says to feed. And so I want to encourage you to look at that list and is there something on there that just tugs at your heart? Is there something on the weed list that you're like, yep, I know it's really time for me to pull that out of my life. I really have to get rid of that and kill it off. Is there something on the right-hand side that you're like, yeah, that's what I really want to put my emphasis on and focus on as I head into this week? And if there's something that jumps out at you, practically speaking, what does it look like for you to focus on that this week? Not just i I'm going to try harder not to do that or to do that, but practically speaking, what does that actually mean? If it's anger and passion, for example, if you know you're someone who's tempted to just fly off the handle at different times, what does it look like to say, whenever I'm starting to get that feeling, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to take a deep breath before I respond. I'm going to try and respond with gentleness, with strength under control. If it's about hateful feelings, man, that person gets to me (laughs) ordinary. As that's kicking in, what's it look like for me to stop and remember who that person is? Someone who's created in God's image. Someone who Jesus died for. Someone who is loved by God as much as God loves me. How can that change what my feelings are towards that person? Or it might be something on the feed side. It could be about compassion or tolerance, this idea of entering into someone else's experience and letting that actually affect me. Is there an area that I want to think about this week where I can stop and really think about how must it be for that person in the situation they're in and what actions does that lead to? Or it could be this kindness thing. Just what does it look like to do a random act of kindness for someone at some point this week or every day this week. But what on that list jumps out at you and what's one thing that you can do as we head into this week? I want to wrap up by reminding us that we don't do any of this though so that we can earn God's favour and God's love. We don't say, I'm going to try and weed, I'm going to try and feed in the hopes that God might then accept me a little bit more than he does now. We do these things because that's who we are. This is who God has given us the opportunity to be. So let's go into this week and live like it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have done everything that's necessary for us to have a full, complete relationship with our Heavenly Father, to be welcomed into your family with all the rights and privileges that come with that. That's extraordinary. And we thank you that Paul has been so clear to us that you are enough. You're more than enough for us, in fact. And so we pray that as we head into this week, you would help us to recognise those areas of our lives where we are getting caught in that tension of recognising that this isn't who you have created us to be, nor is it who you have called us to be. You want us to get rid of, to weed these things out of our lives that aren't the way that life is in heaven. You want us to set our hearts on the things that are, the things that reflect your heart and your character. And thank you that we get to do that in the freedom that you give us, that we get to live these unrestrained lives where we're not held back by anything at all. You've given us the freedom to walk openly into whatever you've got for us this week. And as we do, to discover more and more about what it means to be embraced by your love, to participate in the work that you've got us to do and to be your people. In your name we pray. Amen.